Christian is a father. He has three kids, and he'll tell you a bit more about his family. But I want to make you aware, Christian has some stuff in the lobby, a CD, some very cool T-shirts, an amazing book, which I have read and highly recommend. And he wants to make the best Canadian deal possible because he doesn't want to take any of it back with him. So after this morning, he'll be in the lobby. Go see Christian and make sure and get some of his stuff. Christian, recognizing this was your first trip to Canada, I wanted to get you something real Canadian. <laughs> so I went yesterday and looked for a mug. A, a mu what? A mug, a drinking mug. A mug, mug. Oh, okay. Yeah. But all the mugs with Canada flags on your size would be one gulp and gone. So Christian, I found you a mug just for you to take back and remember it's up here. Super size. So there's your mug. Now I know there's nothing Canada on it. No. So I got you the most authentic Canadian gift I could find. It's red. Okay. And it has our emblem on it. That's cool. And Christian, what does it say underneath? Uh, Toronto Maple Leafs. What was that again? Okay, this is how much I love you guys. I'm a Chicago Blackhawks fan. Toronto Maple Leafs. Ladies and gentlemen, Christian Chapman. Good to have you here, buddy. How's everybody doing today? I heard your pastor, and I, I, want, I want to take a second. Um, I always try to do this in any church I go visit, uh, whether it be in El Salvador, whether it be in Russia, whether it be in Cape Town, South Africa. Uh, whether it be anywhere in the United States or my first time to Canada. Uh, if I could, can I honor the pastor? And I know he probably is going to be very uncomfortable with this, but could I just ask everybody just to, to pray with me so I can just ask blessings over this man of God. I have uh, been watching his sermons, and this man loves the Word of God. And I just love people that love the Word of God. I believe 2 Timothy 3.16 is absolutely true, that all Scripture, not some, in America, we have a lot of churches that are just picking and choosing which scriptures they want. And, and, and if you watch the news, you can see where that's getting us lately. Uh, but I believe in the full gospel. Matter of fact, somebody tried to attack me one time. I was debating against an evolutionist at a college in America one time. And he looked at me. He said, you're just a literalist. You know, that's your problem. And I said, well, I played four years of baseball in college, so I didn't go to class a lot. What does that mean? <laughs> and he said, that means that you just believe everything the Bible says. That's your problem. I said, thank you. That's a great compliment. I do believe everything the Bible says, and I do not compromise it on any occasion. Uh, like me, hate me, um, pray for me, whatever the case might be. I, I just do not compromise because I believe that this is what brings about eternal life. This is eternal life. And whether I'm anywhere in the world or whether I'm here today in Canada in Oshawa, is that right? Did I say that right? Oshawa? Uh, whether I'm down in Oshawa, right? I'm trying to get the language here. The gospel is still the same. And the really cool thing for me is that I can fly from Charlotte, North Carolina, where I'm a chaplain with NASCAR, and I can come here today and I can look at you and I can say that you are my family. We're one body of Christ. How cool is that? That you are my brothers and sisters, and I'm prepared to bleed with you in this thing called the Christian life. I believe Luke 14, 27 is something that's not lived out a lot, and I want to talk a little bit about that in John 4 today. Not many people where I'm from are picking up the cross of Jesus and carrying it. They're saying that they're followers of Christ, and they go to church one day a week, but they give back to the world Monday through Saturday, and then they go to church on Sunday and say, please resurrect life as I give myself to the world all week long. Like that 
skit that you did an amazing job on says, being a child of God, being a father, whether it might be being a father or being a Christian or whatever you are in life, it requires everything that you have. Amen? And so I want to pray for your pastor this morning and his family. So let's bow our heads. Father, thank you for safe travel. And I pray for safe travel back home, Father. Looking at the weather, I think it's storming when I leave at 7. I think it's storming in Detroit when I land. And I think it's storming in Charlotte at 11.55 when I land tonight. But I trust in you in all things. I thank you for bringing me here to be with my family today. I pray in the name of your son Jesus that you would bless this church, my family, this body of Christ in Oshawa, Calvary Baptist Church. I pray that it would live out the message of your son Jesus in a radical way, Lord. That they would not be a one day a week Christian, but they would be all in. That it would require everything from them, Lord, as they build your kingdom here in Canada. I pray for the pastor and his love for your word, and I pray for his lovely family. I pray for the family that hosted me and the family that took me downtown to Toronto yesterday. And that city is lost, Father God, just like Charlotte, North Carolina. So I pray that this church would make an impact, and I pray that you would give this pastor vision, that you would protect him in his health, that you would fill him with your Holy Spirit, and that he would passionately preach your word and inspire our family here to go out and live out their faith and be all in. It's in Christ's name we pray. All God's people say Amen. Amen. My name is Christian, once again, Chapman from Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm a chaplain with NASCAR. Um, I've been married for 25 years. I got married when I was 19 years old, before I played baseball in college and played some ball overseas. And uh, I have three boys. I have a Malachi Christian Chapman, an Isaiah Christian Chapman, and a Jeremiah Christian Chapman. So you pretty much know how we roll at our house. Uh, I, I love my family. I love my wife. I've been in ministry for over 20 years. I was a uh, college pastor for six years, a youth pastor in Charleston, South Carolina for six years, an evangelistic pastor in Charlotte, North Carolina for about four years, and I've been an itinerant speaker for about four years with Kingdom Building Ministries, which is who connected me here to, to you lovely people here today. And uh, I am now a head pastor of a church in Charlotte called Radiant Church of Charlotte. And we get that name from Psalms 34.5. Those who look upon the Lord will be radiant with joy, and all their dark shadows and places will fall away. So we are content in being a light in Charlotte because we believe that the light of Jesus Christ is what can set people on fire to build his kingdom and to have everlasting life. So I'm excited to be here. I want to give you a very simple gospel today. I think the gospel is simple, Amen. It's extremely simple. We try to complicate it many times. Not too long ago, I was speaking in Nashville, Tennessee, and I got to meet a band that, I meet a lot of bands, you know, I've done some stuff with Toby Mac and Switchfoot and different people as I speak at conferences, and I got to be with a really cool band called Bright Gray. And when I looked at their table, they had all black and white pictures, and just some little part of them was lit up with red. It was a really cool photograph of the band, and when I heard them worship, they were just amazing. And so I got to know them after I spoke, and we had another day of ministry together. So they looked at me and said, man, let's get in the van and let's go eat at a Chinese restaurant. Let's go hang out and get to know each other. So on the way to this Chinese restaurant in Nashville, Tennessee, one of the band members looked at me and said, Christian, what do you think bright gray stands for? 
And you know how we do as, as theological speakers and people that study the word. We always try to make things more difficult. You know, sometimes we even try to tweet these great statements that, that are going to just overwhelm people with our intellectual understanding of God and all the heavens and the universe and all the creation of the stars and everything that we see. And I said, well, you know what? I believe that gray represents the storms of life. And when the storms of life come rolling in, those gray clouds can really bring us down and, and really keep us from accomplishing great things. When the storms roll in, we feel dreary, we feel gray, we feel defeated, but Christ can be the bright light that can set us free. And they looked at me and they said, that was awesome. And I said, well, what does it mean? He said, his last name is Bright, my last name's Gray. I said, man, you messed up my great answer. He said, no, no, no we're going to keep that. That's the best answer ever. But this young worship leader looked at me probably around 22, 23, and he said, but you know what, Christian, as you preach the gospel, just remember that it's a simple message. You were lost, but now you've been found. You were blind, but now you see. You were once a slave, but now you've been set free. And so I want to preach that message to you today. I want to ask you to turn to John 4, thinking about being all in. There was a Samaritan woman by the well that was about to have an all-in moment that I want to talk with you about today. John 4, starting with verse 4. Am I going to mess the cameras up if I move around, Pastor? Am I okay? Once again, I am ADHD, so it's hard for me to stand still. I might jump off the stage at some point, especially if I see somebody dozing. I'll come tap you on the shoulder, okay? All right, love to be interactive, okay? So John 4, I'm, I'm kind of old school when it comes to God's word. I just love God's word. I, I would ask that everybody stand up today as we read God's word together. It is a holy word. It's a life-changing gospel. John 4, Jesus is about to have an amazing encounter with a woman by the well. And why this is so significant as it pertains to being all in is that he had just left this religious man by the name of Nicodemus. Matter of fact, let me ask you this question. With you standing today, how many of you would say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ? Raise your hand. Okay, every church I go speak at, just about everybody raises their hand like they did today. But in the deep south where I'm from, in North Carolina, South Carolina, when you ask people to explain why they feel like they're a follower of Christ, it always leads to a conversation about religion. I got the t-shirt, I got the necklace, I got the bumper sticker, I got the tattoo, I got the, 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 the tag on my plate, the scripture on my plate when I drive around. I go to church one day a week if I talk to teenagers. I go to church every Wednesday. My parents make me go to youth group. I go to a Christian school. I mean, it really doesn't pertain to life, something exciting, something that would lead me to believe that they're all in. And when Jesus encountered this man named Nicodemus, he was not impressed with his religion at all. Matter of fact, let me give you the definition of religion today. Religion means a set of beliefs. Now, the problem with that is that Scripture says even the devil believes. So that's not enough. A set of beliefs about the nature, cause, and purpose of the universe. You know what that is? That's evolution. Evolution will not get you into heaven understanding the stars and the universe and all the creation that we see. A set of beliefs about the nature, cause, and purpose of the universe and rituals and practices living out those beliefs. How many of you think that the Lord is looking for rituals and practices? But now let me give you the definition of a relationship, which is where I want to lead you today. The definition basically of a relationship is two people that are passionately connected together. How many of you think that's what Jesus is looking for? 
a passionate connection, an all-in relationship with him. Now, Jesus looks at this great man of the Sanhedrin council, this great religious man named Nicodemus, and he basically says, Nicodemus, I'm trying to teach you very simple things, and if you don't understand them, and you are Israel's teacher, then Israel is bankrupt. They got no money in the bank. If you are their teacher, then there's a lot of trouble to be found. So he leaves this great religious man, and he goes looking for this woman by the well who was in need of a relationship. And you might ask, Christian, how do you know that? Well, as we get into the story, can I just be honest with you? She was having a lot of relations with a lot of people in town. They weren't healthy, godly relationships, but Jesus at least knew her heart was open to having a relationship with him. So something amazing happens in John 4.1. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more de- disciples than John through Jesus himself didn't baptize them. His disciples did. So Jesus left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on his way. Eventually, he came to a Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. I can't go into details because we don't have time. But Jesus just broke a ton of rules by saying, I will sit down with this Samaritan woman and I will even put my lips on the same jar that you're drinking out of as well. He was breaking a ton of rules just by being around her, but putting his lips to her jar, it was unheard of. That was a Jewish no-no in those days. So Jesus is breaking a lot of barriers here right off the bat. He was alone at this time because the disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. Verse 9, the woman was surprised For Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And she said to Jesus, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why would you ever ask me for a drink? And Jesus said, if you only knew the gift that God has for you, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living, living, living water. But sir, you don't have a rope in the bucket. She said, and the well is very deep. Where do you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob? who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? And Jesus said, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give him will never thirst again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring inside of them. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. I love it when people say that. I love it when people look at their life and they realize how desperate their situation is and they look at me when I'm talking to them about Christ and they say, give me that. That's what I need. And so Jesus does something probably unusual. He's only known this woman about five minutes and he says, woman, go get your husband. And she said, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, that's right, you've had five of them. Woo! You know, in in, in the churches in America, and I could call out the denominations, but I'm not about tearing down the body of Christ. We have tons of people that don't confront sin anymore. They just tell people everything's going to be okay. Live your life however you want to. There are some things in the Bible that are true and some that aren't. All you have to do is go right across the border to find a a pastor named Rob Bell. And I will say this because he's been very public about his confession that there is no hell. And that homosexuality is okay with God. That's not true. Jesus talks to this woman about confronting her sin. She does. She goes away in verse 19. 
She leaves her water jar behind, and we end the story with many Samaritans believing because this woman received living water. Let us pray. Father, I pray in the name of your son Jesus that you would bless this truth today. I pray that at the end of this talk that my words would not be heard, Father God, but I pray that your words would be heard through me. I pray that your Holy Spirit would capture my heart in this moment and that you would speak truth and that you would open up even the hardest of hearts here today. And that when this altar is open at the end of this talk, Lord, that they would not worry about who was on their left and who was on their right, that they would not worry about who might see, but that they would come and get before you on their face in humility and that they would give their life to you and receive living water. It's in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people say, amen. You may be seated. The first thing that I want to bring up in this passage as you sit down is to help you understand the significance of what Jesus was trying to accomplish. In those days when the people were traveling, when the Jews in particular were traveling from Galilee to Judea or Judea to Galilee, what they would do is they would walk right up to the border of Samaria where this woman was. And they would walk 50 miles. They would cross the Jordan River. They would walk 50 miles out of their way. And when they were completely away from Samaria, they would continue their journey to Galilee or Judea, whichever way they were traveling. Why would somebody in the Middle East heat walk 50 miles out of their way to reject and deny these people with a relationship? Because of this word called racism. Now, let me give you the definition of racism real quick. Anytime you think you're better than someone else, the definition of racism would probably connect to who you are. We are all God's people. And according to scripture, he shows no favoritism. And he looks at all of us the same. We are all his children. And we all have a purpose in life. And Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria. As verse 4 said, he could have walked around Samaria like the rest of the Jewish people. But he is always drawn to break down a wall. He is always drawn to those who are lost. He is always looking for someone in need of living water, which is really good news for you and I. Because many of you could probably raise your hand today and say, Jesus didn't find me when I was at the top, when I was healthy. He found me when I was extremely sick. Anybody tracking with me on that? Wow. Anybody? Okay, thank you. All right. And so Jesus encounters this woman trying to show his disciples a better way. Don't travel around Samaria. You need to be all in. People are that important. Lost people are that desperate. Eternal life is that long. You have to break down this wall. And I'm going to be a great example. I'm not going to walk around with racism. I'm not going to walk 50 miles out of my way. I'm going to penetrate this woman's life by taking living water to her. Where she is, I'm not going to make her come to me. I'm going to go to her. And where I live in the deep south, we build big buildings, and we expect people to come. And when they don't show up, we go, why? Because we have to expose them to the gospel. We have to be all in. We need to let them know that our life is different than theirs. Come and follow me. Let me let you be introduced to a man named Jesus. My mother, perfect example, raised in church, read the Bible every day, a really, really beautiful woman. Had a beautiful personality, worked hard her whole life, many times two jobs, especially when my dad left me and my mom for another woman in 1985. My mom worked two jobs, and she did everything to take care of her son when my dad checked out. Incredible woman. But she had a wall in her life that was about to be exposed. When I played baseball overseas, I came back, and my wife and I tried to have kids for about three years. 
and my wife had endometriosis, and there were some issues with me as well. So the doctor said, we're going to have to give your wife a hysterectomy, and there's no opportunity for you to have biological children. And that broke my wife's heart. I remember her going home and just weeping in the floor for hours upon hours. Because mothers, right, you have a desire to, to, to nurture and to care. That's how you were created. And I remember when I puffed myself up and I walked in the room and I was like, baby, ain't I enough? And she said, no. <laughs> and then I started praying, God, we're going to have to do something about this. And so God led my wife and I to a decision to adopt a child. So we went to an organization in Greenville, South Carolina, and we talked to them, and they had, I remember when I walked in, they had all these books laid out. They had a book of white children, had a book of black children, had a book of Asian children, they had a book of Latino children, and they had a book way down here, kind of shoved off to the side. And I said, well, who's in that book down there? And they said, biracial children, but normally people like to start right here. And my wife squeezed my hand, because she knew. She said, this is not Sunday, it's not time to preach, be quiet. And then I found out they had different prices on the kids. I was like, wait a minute. I was like, I don't care if it's Sunday, I'm preaching. I was like, you can't put different prices on all of God's children. They are valued the same. And I said, I know how my God is. So we're going to start down here where nobody else does. So we picked out a family who was about three months away from having a child. It was a biracial child. The father was black. The mother was white. And we said, that is the child that God is calling us to adopt. So when he was born, I remember holding my son Malachi, Christian Marcellus Chapman. We gave him my name, Christian. We gave him his father's, biological father's name, Marcellus, because we wanted to honor his family for making a godly choice to give him life. So Malachi, Christian Marcellus Chapman, I'm holding him in my arms. I'm so excited. When I give him to my wife, I start calling my family. Now, my dad is like an ex-professional racer, and he doesn't get very excited about things. I called him. I said, Dad, you're a grandpa. He said, bring the boy by. Click. Then I called my mom. Mom, you're a nana. This godly woman said, did you get a white baby? I said, no. You got one of those cute babies from China, didn't you? I said, no. She said, Mexico? I said, uh-uh. She said, Christian, you better not have did what I think you did. I said, I did, mom. I adopted a biracial child. She hung up on me. God was about to expose the racism in her heart. A huge wall, by the way, that can separate us because I'm a firm believer that if you don't love all God's people, then maybe you don't love Jesus like you should. And so my mom called back and said, you better be in downtown Charlotte tomorrow. I'm going to take you out to eat and we're going to have a conversation about this. So I showed up and my mom used to like, be a lawyer for food line. She used to argue court cases when people would sue. So I knew I was in for a battle. I showed up, and my aunt is there. My Aunt Linda, deep in the woods from York, South Carolina, that never comes out except for Christmas and Easter. <laughs> so when I saw her coming out of the woods, man, raised from good redneck stock, I knew there was going to be a battle. I sat down, and my Aunt Linda spoke up first, and she said, Christian, if you adopt that black child, we have decided that you're not going to be a part of this family anymore. We're not going to have anything to do with you, and we're not going to have anything to do with your wife, and we're not going to certainly have anything to do with that child ever again. And I said, well, now hold on. I see you once a year at Christmas, Aunt Linda, so who cares what you think? <laughs> I said, Mom, are you a racist? My mom said, I go to church every... No, 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 no. 
Rituals and practices do not get you to heaven. Mom, are you a racist? Christian, I read the Bible to you. I said, eh. Believing doesn't get you into heaven. I said, Mom, until you're willing to confront this wall, you're never going to be all in. You're always going to be separated from the Most High God. You have to let that wall fall down. And with tears in my eyes, I got up and I left my mom and my aunt there. And only a couple of months passed when my mom showed up in downtown Clemson, South Carolina, knocking on the front door of our house. And I answered the door. My mom had this really stern look on her face and said, let me see that child. And I said, well, let me ask my wife if you can come in. There's a reason I've been married 25 years. And so I went to my wife and I said, mom is here. Can she come in? My wife, you know how you ladies are about your kids. You better watch her. Do you understand me, Christian Chapman? I said, I got her. And so my mom comes in and sits in the rocking chair, and I bring Malachi out in his New York Yankee onesie. I got high hopes with the brother. And I laid him in her lap, and my wife and I sat back, and we held hands, and we watched as she started to rock him at the five-minute mark. And then at the 10-minute mark, I saw the first tear fall onto my son's chest. And at the 15 minute mark, my mom was weeping uncontrollably. And I looked at my wife and both of us were in tears. And I said, my mom just gave her life to Jesus. She just left her religion behind and she just picked up a brand new, fresh, alive, bubbling relationship with Jesus Christ. And I gotta be honest with you, since that moment, my mother has been all in. I got three biracial children and my kids would rather be with their nana than they would be with their dad. And Nana buys them everything, praise God. I'm so glad she came around. There has been a complete change. My mother just doesn't go to church on Sunday and sit in a pew. She goes to church on Sunday and she worships her God. She doesn't just read her Bible now, she studies and she lives it out. And she doesn't just say she's a Christian, she shares her faith now. She just had major heart surgery not too long ago, and the doctor took her blood pressure before she went back to be cut on with very serious heart surgery. And he said, your blood pressure is 110 over 70. Aren't you scared? And she witnessed to him and said, no, because my God is in control of all things. I give him my life. My mother would have never said that years ago. So I gotta ask the church here today, my family, can I be honest with you? Do you have a wall? Does your marriage have a wall? Raising your children, do you have a wall? Any issues on the internet, dare I say its name? We have huge issues with that in America. Do you have a wall of anger? Do you have a scar from the past? Do you have a wall of religion that needs to come down today? It can. Can I share with you why it's so important for that wall to come down and why it's so important to be all in? Because of what the scriptures say. And can me read this to you one more time. In verse 13, these are red letter writing. This is Jesus' words. He tells the woman, anyone who drinks the water from the world will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give him will never thirst again. There will be something bubbling. There will be something alive. There will be something living inside of you. And when you see somebody who was alive, when you see somebody who was bubbling, when you see somebody who was fresh, then you can tell. But when I speak in churches, I look, and I tell people all the time, don't stare at me because your eyes say a lot. 
Matter of fact, Darwin studied the eye, and when he realized it did almost 150,000 things to see, it caused him to say, I wonder if a God created it. You bet it did. And I look in people's faces today, and this is what I see. They died in their 20s, and they're just waiting to get buried in their 70s. It's very sad. I had a friend die of cancer not long ago. 85 pounds, was an athletic stud. 85 pounds looking like a scarecrow days before he died. They put him to the front of the church, rolled him up in the wheelchair, and he raised his hands with a big smile on his face, and he worshiped God. And I told my wife, that looks like Jesus right there. That's living water. That's being all in, all the way to the grave. Let me tell you why being alive is so important. Let me tell you how you can get your church to grow and you can build new buildings and there won't be enough room. It'll be standing room only. If you will have something bubbling inside of you, if you will have something fresh, if you will have something living, people will always be attracted to you. I found that out years ago. One of my best friends, his name is Marcus, and I love this guy. He's got a testimony a lot like mine. He had a number one R&B hit song in 2001, making money, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars in Miami. The guy that did Michael Jackson's Thriller album, Rodney Jerkins, I think, was the same guy that did his album. He was opening up for Nelly, opening up for Will Smith. He was on the Jay Leno show. I don't know if y'all remember, any old schoolers might remember the Soul Train dance show. He was on the Soul Train dance show. I mean, this guy had it going on. Jenny Jones, I mean, everybody was interviewing him. He was doing videos at Olivia Newton-John's house and, and just making amazing money, had an amazing career, but he got hooked severely on crack cocaine. Went to a rehab in Columbia, South Carolina, where he realized all the people he made money for didn't come to visit him or call him, which is what the world always does, amen? When you hit rock bottom and you can't give them anything, they bail out on you. And he realized when he was in that rehab in Columbia, South Carolina, that it was only living water that could change him and would give him something that he would never thirst for again. He gave his life over to Jesus, rededicated his life, came to Charlotte, became a worship leader, became my best friend. This guy calls me about three years ago and says, Christian, I want to go to Wild Wings Bar and Grill tonight. I'm like, dude, it's, it's 11 o'clock at night. My wife's not going to let me out with you at 11 o'clock at night. You're single. And he said, bro, it's karaoke night, and I feel like singing tonight. And I don't know if y'all have karaoke here, but in Charlotte, once you reach a certain level of alcoholism, you always think you can carry a tune. So on karaoke night, everybody in Charlotte goes to the bar and sings. It's, it's awful. And so I asked my wife, honey, Marcus wants to go to Wild Wings Bar and Grill. Can I go? He wants me to kind of watch after him, and I'm going to come back home. She said, Christian. There is nothing good for a man in Charlotte, North Carolina, past 12. You better have yourself back here at 11.55. <laughs> I said, all right, baby, I, I got you. And so I go to Wild Wings Bar and Grill, and it is packed. The, the big bouncer at the door used to be an NFL football player. He owns the security company in Charlotte. And so he does all the bouncing in a lot of the clubs. And I had shared Christ with him before with my wife. My wife and I went to a restaurant he was bouncing at, and I started to share Jesus with him. So he knew I was a pastor. So when he saw me walking in at about 10 after 11, he looked at his watch and said, Yo, pastor, what you doing, baby? <laughs> and I said, well, I'm going to listen to my boy do some singing. I'm going to eat some wings, get me some sweet tea. I ain't looking for no trouble, man. Then I'm going to go home by 12 to be with my bride. He said, you go have some fun. I ain't going to put no bracing on you because I know you're straight. 
Go have some fun, doctor. I'll check you later, player. And so I put my arms around this big old boy. He's like 375 trying to squeeze into a large polo shirt. <laughs> Fred's just busting out all over. I walked in and it was crazy, just crowded. Hundreds of people drinking and partying and li- literally making out in the booths in the corner and people about to fight over here. And I saw somebody rolling a joint, and, you know, over. I mean, it was just chaos. And Marcus gets up and sings this song by Brian McKnight called One Last Cry. My shattered dreams. It's a lady killer. (laughs) And I was sitting there. I had my napkin shoved into my shirt because I didn't care how I looked because I'm married. I got chicken sauce on my face. I'm up on my booth with my chicken bone going, that's my boy. (laughs) Marcus gets done. The crowd claps and he sits down. He said, Christian, before we leave Wild Wings Bar and Grill, would you do a rap song for Jesus? I was like, Marcus, no. Because what I do, when I do a lot of youth conferences especially, I do Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg rap songs and I put Christian lyrics over it. You know, I take all these terrible songs that people would recognize who are lost and I do Christian lyrics. I say, hey bro, you didn't do no hymnal, so don't try to get me killed up in here talking about Jesus. You saying Brian McKnight, so just eat your wings and let's go home. I got like 15 minutes to my curfew. He said, come on, man. You can jump out of the boat like Peter did, baby. You can walk on water. I got your back. I'm like, you got my back. He said, I got your back. I said, you got my back? He said, I got your back. And you know how men are, right? I stood up. I said, I'm doing it. Because we, we respond to the dare, right, guys? We, I mean, he had me all excited. I was ready to just like Braveheart, you know? I was, going to, I was about to take the field in Scotland. I mean, I just wanted to fight. I wanted to go serve God. And that's what passion does, right? It gets us excited. He's living and he's challenging me to be living and all in. And I stood up and I said, I'm all in. And I went up to the karaoke guy and this is what he said. He looked at me and said, hey, what you doing, big country? A little Tim McGraw. <laughs> I said, you would think that, wouldn't you? But I'm going to do Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre, nothing but a G thing. He said, are you high? said, no. He said, are you drunk? I said, nah. He said, man, do you know how bad those lyrics are? Do you, can you do that? And I said, yeah, yeah. I said, but I'm not going to rap those lyrics. I'm going to rap about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I said, I'm high and I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. He said, you high and filled with what? <laughs> he said, man, I appreciate your passion. He put his arm around me. Do you, do you see all this chaos breaking out? He said, I'm not responsible for you. If you rap about Jesus in here, I said, man, let's just do it. I've already prayed it up. It's all good. So the beat kicks in. I introduce myself. I said, my name is Christian Chapman. I'm going to rap Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre, nothing but a G thing. And a guy on the front row stood up with a Budweiser and a shot glass, and he came up to the front of the stage and said, bring your game, Snoop Doggy Dog. <laughs> and I said, yeah, this is my game. This is Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre high on Jesus Christ, not West Coast Reefer. And you could have heard a pin drop. (laughs) Everybody quit drinking. Everybody quit dancing. People quit rolling weed. People quit just making out. I mean, just quiet. A guy on the bar who who had passed out, I literally saw him wake up and wipe stuff off his mouth and go, what'd that brother say? (laughs) I was a little nervous. But I went straight into my Snoop Dogg voice. And I have no idea how this happened because I'm a redneck, man. I said, one. Two, three and two to four. <laughs> Snoop Doggy Dog and Dr. Dre is at the door. Ready to make an entrance to step on up. Because what I tell you makes you want to jump. 
Give me the microphone first so I can burst like the bubble. Counting them long beats together, now the devil's in trouble. Ain't nothing but a seed thing, baby. One pumped up Christian, I ain't crazy. The Bible is the label that pays me. I'm unchangeable, so please don't try to change me. Oh, yeah. And people look at me like you look at me now. Right? Yeah. Is that the first time anybody's ever rapped in here? Oh, wow. Wow. I'm going to get thrown out. And nobody moved. Second verse, I looked at Mark as he was hiding. Third verse, something amazing happened. The Holy Spirit took over. That's the only way I can explain it. People were celebrating. People were dancing. People were going to the right and going to the left. This guy on the front row left his alcohol on the table and was running back and forth in front of the stage going, I love Jesus! I love Jesus! 375, the bouncer. When you're that big, you can't move, but he was doing what he could. I looked over, he was like. (laughs) And when I got done rapping, the karaoke guy came up to me. He said, man, we have never had a standing ovation like that at any karaoke bar I've ever been a part of. And I put my arm around him and I said, bro, all these people that you see came in here needing living water. I said, they don't even know right now why they're celebrating, but their inner soul is leaping and jumping and dancing, saying, I want what that brother's got. You know what happened? When I walked off the stage, there were a line of people waiting for us to pray for them. I had to call my wife and get a time extension. (laughs) We had church at Wild Wings Bar and Grill until 2 o'clock in the morning. I led the manager to Christ, and I baptized him at our church, Steel Creek Church in Charlotte. And when he came up out of the water with tears in his eyes, he said, give me my child. Let's dedicate it right now to the Lord. He got promoted. Two weeks after he got saved, the Lord gave him all the wild wing bar and grills up and down the East Coast. I said, bro, you know what happened? Now that you're all in, God is extending your territory. Do you have something alive? Do you have something bubbling and fresh? Do you have a wall that needs to come down? Only you and God can do that work today. The story, I think, ends in an amazing way as I close. Oh, the woman leaves her physical water jar behind. It says in verse 28, the woman left her jar beside the well and she ran back to the village telling everyone. You know what that's called? Testifying. She was now all in. Let me tell you how I know she was all in. Because she was sleeping with other people's husbands, and in those days, they stoned you to death for doing activities like that. And the men would take the women and they would stone them. They still do that in the Middle East today. That happened not too long ago. Not even a woman that was found guilty. She was just accused. And they drugged this 19-year-old outside the walls of Lebanon, and they killed her. This just happened within the last year. And so for this woman to run back and tell her accusers, tell the very people that were trying to kill her, I have been set free. Living water is inside my heart. Come and meet this man that tell me everything that I used to be and who I am today. And it said that many Samaritans believe because of her. You see what happens when we're all in? The church grows. You see what happens when we're all in? Something fresh, alive, and bubbling 
comes to life inside of us. You see what happens when we're all in? Walls that separate us fall down and set us free. The only thing that I know about walls today now that I've been set free is we build big, strong, fortified walls when we put people in prison. God doesn't want you to be in prison. He has set you free through Jesus Christ. But you've got to receive living water. Why am I a Christian today? My short testimony is this. I was raised by a father who was a professional athlete racing. I grew up as a really good athlete. I played baseball, basketball, football. I was a ranked athlete, my dad told me, in North Carolina during a particular time as I was a teenager. Excelled in every sport. And then I came home the second day of my 10th grade year after football practice, and I walked into a very dark, dreary home. And my mom was literally passed out drunk at the kitchen table with an empty bottle of Crown Royal right beside of her head, and I scooped my mom's head up, and I looked under her, and there was a note that she had basically had tears that had washed some of the ink away, and it was a note written from my father saying, I'm leaving you and Christian for another woman. And not only that, but he told us that he had tried to save the house for a long time, but he had mortgaged the house on his business that had went bankrupt, and we literally had to be out by 12 midnight, or everything that was left in the house would belong to the bank. So the house that I had grown up in for 16 years, and my father was gone overnight. I'll never forget the humiliation as we loaded everything into the U-Haul, looking around at all my friends that I had grown up with. My mom decided that I didn't need that atmosphere, because not too long after that, I quit playing sports. I started getting in trouble. I got thrown in jail in Charlotte, got thrown in jail in Concord, got in a lot of trouble in Kannapolis. I had drinking issues. I had drug issues. I had fighting issues. I had tons of anger, tons of scars. I was getting tatted up. Some of the tats that I got had to get lasered off because my wife said, I'm not living with you with that tattooed on your body. That's the guy that I was. So my mom put me in a military school up north. Wow, bad choice. To straighten a teenager out, you don't need to put them in a military school. Let me just encourage every parent here. That doesn't work. I got in trouble for breaking and entering. My mom wouldn't take me back, and my dad still was separated from my life. So I moved to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, where I became homeless because I couldn't keep a job. And I was very irresponsible, and every dime I made, I spent on alcohol or drugs. Until finally, I spent the night in the hospital in Conway, South Carolina in 1986, because of drugs. Almost had a heart attack. Came out of the hospital, went back to living on the streets, and my dad came down and found me. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, son, would you forgive me? I've got my life right with Jesus, and I, I want you to come back home, and let's get you straightened out. So I went back home, and my dad got me a job at Charlotte Honda putting together motorcycles. I started racing bikes again, and my dad was the manager, and things started to progress. I started to get a GED, and it was a little, a little better, but I still partied. Hadn't learned my lesson yet, even though I almost lost my life. Ended up at a party in Charlotte, North Carolina in 1987 with a line of cocaine up to my nose, and for the first time in my life, I didn't want it. Handed it back to the guy. I said, dude, I, I'm gone. I'm going home. Where are you going, Chapman? Because I was always the life of the party. Always loved to party, always loved to be crazy, always loved to have a good time, but I said, you know what, this is no longer fun for me, guys. I got on my street bike, started heading back to Kannapolis, where I ran out of gas at Harris Boulevard. That doesn't mean anything to you, but it's like one of the worst exits in Charlotte. 
I started thumbing for a ride. A taxi cab picked me up, took me to get gas, took every dime I had to put gas in the bike, set out of the taxi cab, jumped on my motorcycle, got ready to crank it up and realized I left my keys in the taxi cab. <laughs> took my helmet off and just realized that God said, I'm not letting you leave here until you get things right. Otherwise, it's going to cost you your life. I heard his voice clearly. He was almost audibly yelling at me, stop. Look around. Be in conversation with me. So I started praying, and it was as real as any prayer you've ever heard. It started out like this. I don't believe in you. I don't see you. I don't hear you. I don't feel your presence. But I'm desperate. And I know I need you if you exist. Just show me tonight, Father, that you love me. <laughs> I need you. As soon as I prayed that prayer, very simple prayer, a navy blue Pontiac Firebird pulled over. I wasn't even thumbing. Walked up, the guy rolled down the window, flipped on the inside light to the car, and when I looked around, I saw a Bible sitting on the passenger seat. And I looked down, and this is a lot of the reason why I adopted three biracial children. It was a black man, huge afro. I was a white kid with the ugliest mullet you've ever seen in your life. I tell people all the time, you want to know how bad the devil is? He'll take you all the way to a mullet. <laughs> it's bad, bro. And we were looking at each other at about 4 o'clock in the morning, Two guys that had nothing in common, but I'll take these words to the grave, and I give God praise for what came out of his mouth. He says, son, I don't know what led you to this place, but the Lord asked me to pull over and pick you up and tell you that he loves you. He's got a plan and a purpose for your life. So at 4.30 in the morning, I gave my life to Jesus. I've never been the same. People say, Christian, why are you all in? Because for God to do what he did on the side of the highway that night, I knew that he had to be all in for me. Christian, why are you all in? Because when I read this word and when I see the story of Christ, I realize that Jesus was all in for me, all the way to the grave. Christian, why are you all in? Because being all in is what changes other people's lives as well. Imagine my life today had that man driving that Pontiac Firebird said that he was a Christian, but he had not been all in. He would have drove by and left me on the highway at 4 o'clock in the morning. Are you all in? As Steve comes up to lead us in worship, would you bow your heads so I can pray for you? Father, I love you so much. You've done so many things in my life. You've set me free in so many ways. I love my family here. I don't even know them all by name, but I love them so much. And I'm so honored that they would come into your house today to hear a word from you. Not my words, Father, but I believe that your word has been spoken. And I thank you that your son Jesus breaks down walls and he sets us free. He breaks down barriers. When everybody else goes around Samaria, your son Jesus walk straight through. I thank you for his life, his example, and his love. I thank you that what he offers us is living, it's bubbling, it's alive, it's fresh.
And Father, I thank you that when we receive you, we can leave all our physical jars behind like this woman did, and we can take off running with something living inside of our heart. Would you look at me? Years ago, when I gave altar calls, I always had everybody bow their heads, and I would say, bow your heads, nobody's gonna see. You're not gonna feel uncomfortable. Just, just come down, really quick. We can do it really quick, get back to your seat, nobody will know. And boy, did they come. And what I realized is that a decision made that way is not a decision made in blood. I tell people all the time, if you can't make a decision in God's house with people looking, you'll never make it on the street when people attack you. That would have been a great time for somebody to say amen. And so, with everybody looking today, two decisions. When the band starts to play, two decisions here at the altar today. And it could be just one. And it could be none. Because I believe that I've been called to come here and teach the word. And I believe that I have given you a challenge to understand that your life is not really life at all unless you have something living inside of you. So could it just be one that would say, I need living water? Could it be just one that would say, I need to rededicate? I need to come down and take a drink because I'm thirsty. I'm struggling. I'm hurting. I need healing physically. I need to be uplifted spiritually. I need to give my life to Christ for the first time or I just need to be all in. I wonder how many of you came here today and you're not all in. You're 25% in, you're 50% in, you're 75% in, but that's not enough. And I don't say that from my own personal preference. I'm saying that because I know God's word and I'm telling you, when Jesus looked at Peter in John 21, he said, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Do you love me? Yes, Lord. Do you love me? Yes, Lord. And it says in scripture, Peter got upset. I don't think he should have got upset. He denied Jesus three times. I think it was a valid question to ask him three times. And then as soon as Peter said, yes, Lord, you know everything, you know that I love you, this is what Jesus said, good, get ready to die. It's good to have you on board, Peter. That's being all in. And then Peter preached his first sermon and 3,000 lives were changed. Why? Because a wall had come down. Why? Because he was now living and alive and fresh and people were attracted to his life. Why? Because he was willing to leave his physical body behind and say, Lord, take me and use me as you will. So as they sing, I'm going to stand here. And I want you to be humble enough and bold enough, as King David was in Psalms 51. A king, after he sinned with Bathsheba and after he killed Uriah, he said in Psalms 51, Lord, you don't delight in burnt offerings or I would bring them. You don't delight in sacrifices or they would bring here. He said, you delight in a broken heart, a broken spirit, oh God, you will never despise. In other words, God says, I need you on your face. I can do my best work when you give your life to me and be all in. So as they sing, if you would like to make a commitment today to be all in, or if you would like to make a commitment to give your life to Christ, or if you would like to come down and just say, I need some living water. I'm thirsty. I'm in the valley of dry bones. I need to take a drink. Come down as they sing, and then we're going to pray together as a family. Well, we all thought that we needed a sunny day to have a fire up the grill day. But this is what the Word of God says. Sow for yourselves righteousness. 
Reap the fruit of unfailing love and break up your unplowed ground. For it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers, rains righteousness on you. Today was Living Water Day. And we thank God for his amazing work among us. I'm going to close in prayer. And I want to, um, I want to invite those of you who are standing at the front here, who this is the day that you are giving your life to the Lord. The first time you've never done this before. I want you to remain behind with us so we can talk to you. We have some things to give to you. And we want to we tell you that the living water of Jesus Christ will never, ever depart from you. It will bubble forth and move in your lives and out of your lives. Our Father and our God, we praise you and we thank you. Thank you for the message from your word. Thank you for the testimony of your servant. Thank you for the saving work of our great God. Father, thank you for pouring showers of blessings upon us. Thank you for moving people's hearts and lives to follow you with all of their hearts. Our God, you have given all of your heart to us. You kept nothing back. You have given us this rich salvation through Jesus Christ who gave his life for us that we might have living water and live for eternity. And so, Father, I pray for these who are particularly standing in front of me this morning. I pray, O oh God, that you would seal these commitments by, your, by the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray, Father, that you would, um, would uh, fix salvation in these lives. I pray, Father, for those who are, are your children but have come to give a fresh and renewed and passionate commitment to being all in, that you would, in fact, Lord, receive that and, and uh, multiply it in their lives, that they might live for you with a, a new and a profound and a, a fresh and a, a releasing kind of, of, uh, of commitment, I pray. So, our God, this has been good. It has been good to be here with you. And Father, now we pray as we have time together to enjoy each other's company, to, to, to enjoy each other's friendship, to, to uh, enjoy the food that you prepared for us. Oh God, I pray that we might receive it with great thanksgiving. On this Father's Day, you have demonstrated to us as eternal Father your great love for your children. And, oh, God, we praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.